We're in the middle of a series called Seven, and we're going to talk today about one of the churches in the seven books of, uh, of the seven churches, letters written to the seven churches in Revelation. Now, how many of you, I just, I want to ask, how many of you were big Walking Dead fans? How many of you were Walking Dead fans? Yeah, some, well, great. I mean, most of you are not raising your hand, and I like that, all right? Uh, because, uh, you know, if you raised your hand, not that I've got anything against it, it's just I thought it was a little silly, right? I mean, uh, but Crazy Loves Company, if you liked it, because millions of people literally made this the most uh, watched, the most popular show on cable television, The Walking Dead. It's zombie lovers everywhere, I guess, right? I mean, uh, it, on Sunday nights, it was the Twitter hashtag of trend, right? It was just going. Uh, most of our staff, I hate to say it, but a lot of our staff loved The Walking Dead. They'd come in on Monday. They'd set their schedule on Sunday night around it. They'd come in on Monday morning. They'd talk about it. And I'm like, man, I, I need to guess. I need to see what this is about. So I tried to watch it. I tried to watch it three times. Never made it past the first five minutes, Right? I made it about one minute in. Next time I made it about three minutes and in five minutes. And I said, these people are crazy, okay? The only thing I got out of it is I need to hire smarter staff, all right? And so, but anyway, uh, you know, I, I talk about that because, as I said, we're in this series called Seven, looking at the seven letters written to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, we've already talked about the church in Ephesus, which was the loveless church, uh, we talked about the church in Smyrna, our namesake here at this campus, which is, uh, was the faithful church, the persecuted church. We've talked about uh, the church in Pergamum, which was the compromising church. Last week, we looked at the church in Thyatira, which was the tolerant church. Today, we're going to look at the church in a city called Sardis, which was, <clears throat> I think, the zombie church, all right? It was the zombie church. It could be called the zombie church because it looked alive but folks, Jesus said it was dead, all right? Now let me give you a little bit of info about the city of Sardis. Sardis was a very wealthy, ancient city. It was a thriving ancient city, actually. Uh, it was the capital of uh, the ancient kingdom of Lydia. Uh, one of its kings was a guy named Croesus, and he was the one of the wealthiest men in the history of the world. He was so wealthy that people would say, you're as rich as Croesus. I mean, up until just literally, uh, you know, a few decades ago, people would say that. And uh, he was in the uh, Bezos uh, Gates stratosphere of wealth. I mean, he was a wealthy man. The city was wealthy. Uh, there was a river that ran through the middle of the city of Sardis, and gold was discovered in that uh, river, and so it was a gold rush town. It was a boom town. People come from all over because there was gold there. There were five major roads that converged in the middle of the city, uh, and it was sort of like the cluster of 24, 40, and 65 in downtown Nashville, right? But it brought a lot of trade to the town, specifically the wool trade. And so this was a very, very wealthy town. It was so wealthy that historians tell us that money was first uh, minted in Sardis. The concept of money came from here, and it was minted in, in, in Sardis. And so I want you to know this was a very, very wealthy town, and so in some ways it was very politically and even religiously easy town. And so with that uh, with that background and with that context, I want you to go to, to uh, Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7 and see what Jesus says about this church in Sardis. Don't know who planted the church there, uh, and we know that the gospel was preached all over Asia, it tells us, and so out of that, the church was planted, and so this is a church in a very affluent uh, city, uh, and it, it, what, what's happening in this church? Why did Jesus write them this letter? And so let's look at and see in uh, 
verses one through seven of chapter three. It says this, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Seven spirits and seven stars, and we're beginning to see some symbolism. We'll talk about that. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, Jesus says that these are the words of the one who holds the seven spirits and the seven stars. Now, obviously, there's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation. And so, what does he mean by seven spirits and seven stars? And well, he tells us in chapter one. In chapter one, uh, Jesus says that the seven spirits refer to the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not meaning that the Holy Spirit is seven spirits, one spirit, uh, the third member of the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one spirit, and, and the number seven is complete, right? It's a, it's a symbol of completion, of fullness. And then the seven stars, he tells us also in chapter one, I think it's around verse 20, that the seven stars are the seven angels. And what I've said to you is I think that the seven angels are referring to the seven pastors of the church. And so in this introduction, Jesus always introduces himself, and if you'll notice in each of the introductions in, in, to the seven churches, he introduces himself a little differently. And his introduction deals, I think, specifically for what that church, he's going to tell that church. And here he's saying, basically, he's saying that he is the one who comes with the fullness of the Spirit. Seven spirits means the fullness of the Spirit. And he comes holding the pastors. And why I believe he's introducing himself that way is because the church is dead. The church needs revival, folks. And the only thing that awakens a dead church and brings revival is the Spirit of God and the Word of God that's preached by the pastors. And so this church is dead, and it needs a revival. Now, as we, we go on, what happens is Jesus typically in these churches, he gives a commendation and then a condemnation. He tells them what they're doing right, and then he tells them what they're doing wrong. But this church is different, just like Smyrna. Smyrna was different because he didn't tell them anything they were doing wrong in Smyrna, right? I mean, it was all commendation. There was no condemnation. He didn't say, this is what you were doing wrong. He was like, yes, stay strong, right? You're, you're holding up. You're faithful in persecution. Stay strong. Here it's the opposite. Here he didn't tell them anything they were doing right. There's no commendation. Before you get out of verse 1, it's condemnation right? I mean, he just lights in on the condemnation, and there is nothing that you're doing right, basically. And he says, I know your works. I know your works. I know you have a great reputation. You look alive, man. You have a great reputation in the city. You have a great reputation around the world. Basically, here's what he's saying, man. You have this great reputation. 
uh, I mean, your Twitter account is certified. It's so hot as a church, right? You got more people following you on Instagram, your church account, than the Bieber does, right? I mean, you you've got people, thousands of people watching from online from all over the world each week. Your parking lot is full. People can't get in the parking lot. Your cafe runs out of coffee every Sunday morning. People are arguing because cafe has run out of coffee and they didn't stop and get coffee. I mean, this is what's going on in the church. It's one of the fastest growing, listed as one of the fastest growing churches in Asia, uh, probably at this time. I mean, man, the, the staff uh, is, is, is selling books and writing books and selling out conferences, and they've got, they've got people, pastors from all over, calling in saying, hey, can we come and just drink from your fountain of church growth knowledge? Man, we want to know what's going on in your church because, man, it's happening there. See, they had this great reputation, Jesus said. Everybody was looking in, and they had this great reputation. It looked like a model church. Jesus said, you look like a model church, but you're really a zombie church. You look like you're alive, but you're really dead. You see, here's the thing, folks. People inside the church have a perspective about the church, right? I mean, inside the church, people have a perspective about the church. People outside the church have a perspective about the church. But the only perspective that matters is Jesus' perspective about the church. That's the perspective that really matters. And here's what Jesus tells them. Jesus says, here's what I know. When I look at your church, I know that you think you're something. People outside look at the church and they say, man, there's something. But I know that you're really nothing, right? You're dead. You look alive, but you're dead, Jesus says, right? Now, folks, listen, here's what I want you to understand. I want our church to have a great reputation, I want the perspective of people inside the church and outside the church to be good about the church. I mean, I want people in Middle Tennessee to look at Life Point and to hear the name of Life Point and, and, and have great thoughts, right? I mean, we would be crazy to want otherwise. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us, Proverbs 22 says, a good name is to be chosen over great riches, right? And so the name, your reputation is very important, I mean, it's to be chosen more than great riches, even for your personal being, right? And so we want to have a great reputation. I mean, man, I, and I want, to, I want a church to be growing, to be quite honest with you. I mean, man, I, I want people to, to uh, begin to arrive 45 minutes early because uh, they, they can't get a parking spot or they can't get a seat. I want people standing around the walls because they can't get in. So, so don't hear me wrong in this. Jesus is not condemning the church because there were people there and because they were growing and because they had a great reputation. You want your church to have a good reputation. You want your church to be growing because if uh, uh, you, you hope the church is growing because people are being saved, right? But we don't want to look alive and it be a lie. And that was what was happening in Sardis. You see, we want our reputation, but we want our reputation to be real, right? Not, not fake. And, and so Jesus looked at this church and Jesus said, hey, you look alive. There's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, man, it looks like it's growing and hustling and bustling, but you're really dead. And so here's what I really want to know. When I looked at this and as I'm studying this, I said, you know what? I really want to know what he means when he calls them dead I mean, because as we're reading this, we're like, how do we know? I wish, don't you wish he would have told us how they were dead? Because he said, you're dead. And I want to know what that means because I don't want LifePoint to be dead. Man, I want to have a good reputation. I want to be growing. I want to have a lot of people here, all those things. But I don't want to be dead. I want it to be real. So I want to know. And I believe he gives us a, 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 a clue that's more than a clue as to what he means when he says they're dead right here. I, I, I really do. And so, so I think in verse 2, he gives us a clue when he says, I know your works. 
are not complete. I've seen your works, and they're not complete in my Father. They're not complete. Your works are not complete. What works is he talking about? Well, what's he talking about? They're doing all this stuff. What's he talking about? Well, I also believe that that begins to be clear uh, down in verse 5 when he's encouraging the remnant of people who's remained strong within the church. And here's what he says in verse 5. In verse 5, he says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Now, I think this is where we can zone in and understand what he means when he says that they're dead. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels, okay? Now, how, how, what, you say, okay, Pat, where's the clue here? Well, I think if we contrast this with Luke chapter 9, verse 26, we begin to, to get uh, an understanding of what's going on. Look at Luke 9, 26. It says, for whoever is ashamed of me, Listen to what he says. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Okay? Now let me put this together for you. I think that there got crowds at the church. I think the church is growing. Man, I think they've got crowds at the church. Uh, man, there, there's not room in the parking lot and all. And it looks like they're doing great, but in really they're dead because they're not sharing the gospel. I think that's the issue. They're not sharing the gospel. I, I mean, I think they're ashamed of Jesus. I, I think they're, they're not sharing the gospel because they're ashamed of Jesus. And when a church or a Christian doesn't share the gospel, the church or the Christian is dead. Okay? Now you say, how do you, how, why do you think that? Because if Jesus said, here's what Jesus said, if you proclaim me before me and if you I, I proclaim me, then I will proclaim you before my Father and his angels. If you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. And here Jesus clearly says to the church in Revelation, you know, that, that, that if you're ashamed of me, then I'll, I'll be ashamed of you. And, and, and here he says in verse 5, I will confess his name before the Father and before his angels when he's talking about the faithful remnant. So there were some, I think, very clearly connected in Scripture to those who were alive. There was a remnant. There was people within the church who were alive and they were sharing the gospel. They were speaking about Jesus. Man, they had this affection for Jesus that created a fire within their soul, within their heart, that caused them to share the gospel, to talk about Jesus wherever they went. And Jesus said, they're confessing me. They're not ashamed of me or my word, and so I'll confess them before my Father. And if they're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you, right? And so I think that he clearly is saying that they're dead. And how do we know they're dead? They're not sharing the gospel. They're not speaking affectionately of Jesus. You know, uh, uh, archaeologists have uncovered in the city of Sardis, they've uncovered uh, this huge, unearthed this huge Jewish synagogue, which means that there was a huge Jewish population in Sardis, right? And so we know, if we look at the New Testament, what happened when Christians shared the gospel with the Jews walking through the New Testament. We know that, right? I mean, go to Acts 17 one, uh, and read later Acts 17. Here's what's happening in Acts 17. You know, Acts is about the movement, the pl beginning of the church, Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit, the church is going. And here's what happens. Paul goes into a city called Thessalonica. And he goes into this city. And one of the first places that Paul went when he went into a city was to the synagogue. And he began to preach the gospel, share the gospel in the synagogue. 
And when he shared the gospel in Thessalonica in the synagogue, uh, Luke tells us, who wrote the book of Acts, that some believed and were saved, including, he says, some leading women in the city, right? So some believed and were saved, but the majority didn't. The majority got very angry. They got jealous, and they formed a mob and they began to riot, and they began to attack Christians. They specifically, it says, attacked the home of a Christian named Jason, if you go to Acts 17. And so that's what happened. When you preach the gospel to the Jews in the New Testament, it was either revival or it was riot, you could say, all right? And that's what happened. We know that Paul, if you go through the pages of the book of Acts, then we know that Paul Man, when he would preach the gospel, he would be beaten, he would be slandered, he would be mocked, stoned, left for dead on the side of the road, ran out of town for preaching the gospel to the Jews. We know that Jesus came to his own, his own rejected him. He he was crucified for preaching the gospel to the Jews. So you have Sardis, they have this huge Jewish population, right? And we know what happens when you preach the gospel through the book pages of the New Testament to the Jews. It was also a very pagan Roman culture that was uh, just absolutely opposed to biblical Christianity. They worshiped many gods. You know, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, Zeus and Apollo and all the gods they worshiped. They actually even worshiped uh, the emperor. It was emperor worship. And they were required to say Caesar is Lord. Obviously, Christians would not declare Caesar as Lord. That was what we saw in Thyatira, right? When we we saw this Jezebel who came in and began to tell them they could sink all of this together, and, 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 and they were very tolerant of this lady who was teaching them that you could sink all this together so that you could still provide a family, living for your family, and you could proclaim Caesar as Lord. That's all right. Just worship Jesus. And, and, and he says no. And so, so Christians could not declare Caesar as Lord because they knew only Jesus was Lord. This was the big conflict between Rome and Christians. Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is Lord. We render unto Caesar what is Caesar's in his proper place, but Jesus is Lord, right? He wasn't saying rebel against the government. He was saying remember who the Lord is. And so, so if, if the, in, in the city of Sardis, if the Christians preached the gospel to the Jews, they would be crushed. If they preached the gospel to the Romans, they would be crushed. And so what did they do? Man, they chose to be comfortable, I believe. They, they chose to be, to be comfortable rather than preaching the gospel uh, so that uh, they would be uh, protected. The pastor is standing in the pulpit every Sunday morning, and uh, the church is crowded, and so he's not preaching the full gospel of God. He's not preaching the full counsel of the word of God because, you see, it's easier not to. Uh, The people are going out, and they're leaving church that afternoon, and then they're going to work on Mondays, or actually it was on Saturday, and and then Jesus, uh, obviously, the the Jewish Sabbath was Saturday. Then they began to worship Jesus on Sunday, which became the Christian Sabbath because of the day of the resurrection. So they would gather, and when, when they couldn't, go to church because in that day, Sunday was a work day because Jewish Sabbath was Saturday and you're in transition. So they would go out and they would go to work whenever. And when they would go to work, they weren't sharing the gospel. Do you see when they would see their neighbors, they weren't sharing the gospel. They weren't telling anybody about Jesus because you see, they wanted to be comfortable that they might, if they did, they might lose their job. They might lose a friend. They might be killed. They might be mocked. They might lose their income. Their family might suffer, and so they began to choose comfort over Christ. 
They, they, they weren't sharing the gospel. They've got a lot of people coming on Sunday morning to their service or whenever they worship Sunday evening. They've got a lot of people coming to their services, uh, but their services were more about making people feel good than hearing the gospel, right? That's, that's what their service is about. It became, it was more of a social club than a Christ-centered community. It became more of a, of a pop psychology, you know, uh, best life now type sermon and how you feel good and, and, and because it was not offensive at all to people. And so there's a lot of people coming. And so Jesus said, look, you look alive because there's a crowd at church. There's a buzz going on. The hallways are full. The parking lot's full. You look alive, but you're dead and you need to repent, Wake up, that's what he said, and the term there is very strong. It's like, wake up, you know, and when you read it, you can't hear the tone. It's like, wake up, that, that's what he's saying. Wake up, you need to wake up and remember the gospel. Remember what you've heard. What's he talking about? The gospel. Remember the gospel that saved you and proclaim it in the church, proclaim it in the streets, proclaim it in your home, to your neighbors, and to the nations. Wake up. Remember the gospel and proclaim, stand on the gospel and proclaim the gospel. That's what I think Jesus is saying to the church. And he said, if you don't, I'll come like a thief in the night at an hour that you will not know. Now, most of us, when we hear that, we think he's talking about his, his return, right? Because there's allusions to that in the gospels and even in Revelation when it talks about he will come like a thief in the night in a moment that you will least expect it. This is not that. He's not talking about his return because it's conditional. If you don't, I will return. We know Jesus is gonna return like a thief in the night at a moment that we don't know. We know that. But here he says, if you don't, so it's conditional. So this is not talking about his second coming. It's not talking about the return of Jesus, which is imminent. He's talking about judgment. They knew exactly what he was talking about because they live in Sardis. Now, let me help you to understand why they would know and what he's alluding to here. Sardis was basically, I mean, militarily, it was a dream city because it was so easy to defend. It was almost impregnable. Uh, it was on a huge acropolis or on top of a huge hill, a mountain basically, and there was, there was cliffs that surrounded it that you, I mean, you, you just hardly could not scale these cliffs. So you're on top of this 1,500 feet above sea level with Sardis, okay, close to the ocean. So it's like this huge cliff 1,500 feet above sea level, and, and so it had never been taken in battle head-to-head. No one had ever taken Sardis head-to-head. But two times in its history, here's what happened. Two times in its history, P, uh, 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 invading armies had, had came in the, in, the, in the dark of the night, and they had scaled the cliffs. They had learned to scale the cliffs by watching and learning. And when they got to the, to the top of the wall, to the cliff and to the wall of the city, guess what they found? Man, they were so comfortable, they were so complacent within the city that they didn't even guard the walls. If anyone would have even been guarding the wall, it would have been so easy to defend somebody coming up the cliff. But they were not even guarding because they were so complacent, man. They were so just absolutely comfortable. And even after it happened once, they thought it'll never happen again. And so what they did was they scaled the wall, went over the city, uh, over the, the top of the wall, into the city, and they didn't have to take it head-to-head in battle. They went from within the city and took the city, right? Twice in their history. And so when Jesus said, you better repent because you're dead, and if you do not repent, then here's what's gonna happen. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. You remember how you've been taken? You didn't know it because you were asleep, because you were comfortable? Wake up! 
he says. You're, you're comfortable. Wake up. You're asleep at the spiritual will. Wake up. Or I'm going to come in and I'm going to bring judgment at a time when you don't know it if you don't. You see, that, 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 that's what he's saying here. And, 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 but Jesus said, here's the great thing, and I want you to remember, there was a remnant. There was a remnant. There was a group of people within the church who had not spoiled their garments, he said. There was a group. There's, there's always a, a remnant. When you look at Scripture, there's always a, a, a small remnant of people who remain faithful, even when everyone rebels. And I would just ask, are you that remnant that's not spoiled your garments? He says there's a remnant. There are some who have names. And, and I think it's interesting that, that if you look at the passage here, he says that there's some who have, that there are a few who have still have a few names and he's talking about names here, and up in verse one, he says, I know your reputation, your name, and here he goes back to that and says, but there are some who, their reputation is real. They're the real deal Christian. They're not nominal. You know what nominal means? We call people sometimes, you know, uh, nominal whatever, right? Nominal Titans fans, nominal Christians. Well, nominal means name. It comes, it's one of the word name, name only. Name only. And so he said, most of the church is name only. They're name only. But there are some whose name is strong. There are some whose reputation is real. The church has a reputation that's not reality, but there are some who have a reputation that's real. They've not soiled their garments. And he said, you know what these people will do? They'll get to wear white with me for all of eternity. Now, the white garments, is, it's just a symbol, again, of purity. It's a symbol of righteousness, righteousness. Right? I mean, uh, and it's a symbol of righteousness. And that's why, why do you think uh, in, in weddings, you know, when, when you have uh, weddings and brides, they wear white dresses? Uh, it's a symbol of purity. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. Listen, listen, listen. You gotta, it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. If you have been redeemed by Jesus and forgiven by Jesus, there's purity. And so he says, they'll wear white garments with me. He's talking about his bride. He's talking about those who are righteous, those who are righteous. Righteous not because of what they did. Not, they didn't do anything for Jesus to be righteous. It was what Jesus did for them. And they're serious about it. So serious, he says, these are the real deal Christians, and they will wear white with me. They're my bride. They will wear white with me because of their righteousness. I will never blot their name out of my book, and I will confess them before my father and his angels. So the, 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 he says, basically, this is, this is such a comforting verse because for real deal Christians, I, here, here's what happens. There's not a believer in this room who at some place or time has questioned your salvation, right? I mean, I know that. I remember a time in my life when I, the question that I kept asking was, am I really saved, right? Am I really right with Jesus? And because I love Jesus, but I also just was rebellious at many times. And I equated my, if I love Jesus, the enemy would say, if you love Jesus, then why do you do that? And, you know, and, and so I equated my, my, my actions with, am I really saved? And I think you're with me. I'm not going to get you to raise my hand. I don't think I have to. I think you're all with me. I think there's times when we've all said, am I really saved? And Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says that those who are true believers, those whose name is real, they're not nominal Christians, you will never, ever, ever lose your salvation. He says, other places, nothing can take you out of my hand. I will never block, block you out of my book. 
man, you are double bagged, so to speak. You've got Jesus and you've got the Holy Spirit. He talks about nothing for the true believer will take you away from God. You have a security that is unmatched, unparalleled. It's unbelievable almost. It's so awesome, right? See, guess what? This is the beauty of grace, folks. Man, I, I hope this helps some of you. This is the beauty of grace and not salvation by works. You know what I was saved by? The grace of God, not my works. (laughs) I didn't do anything for my salvation. Jesus did. I responded to his call in my life. I responded to his grace. But I didn't do anything for it, and so therefore I can't do anything to lose it. It's not based on what I did. It's based on what Jesus did. And Jesus' faithfulness is much stronger than my fickleness, right? I mean, Jesus' grace is much bigger than my sin, folks. He's got much more grace than you have sin. So here's what you have to understand. If you're a true blue believer, you can rest assured that your salvation is secure. And that's important to remember because there's going to be moments that you're going to lose it. There's going to be moments that you don't act like a Christian. There's going to be times when you don't think like a Christian or feel like a Christian even, right? There's going to be moments when you just absolutely say, what in the world am I doing? There's going to be moments when somebody else might come along and say, what in the world are you doing? If you've got a good wife, she will, I promise. Right? I mean, there's going to be moments. And what you have to understand is, if you're a true believer, Jesus promises there's security. So how did he know? How did he know? Well, here's, here's, here's what I really believe, man. I, I, I believe that Jesus knows because of the fruit that we bear. I believe that we know because of the fruit that we bear. It's not going to be perfect fruit. I've got a rotten fruit every now and then. My, the, you know, my fruit doesn't always taste sweet, believe me. I mean, uh, sometimes I have, you know, my fruit's bitter that I bear, right? I mean, I mean but the, the one who saves you will keep you, is what he's saying, if you're a true believer. And, and, and so the question is, how do you know you got it? What's the fruit of your life? Are you more interested in comfort? Or are you more interested in Christ? Are you living sent? We would say here at Life Point in our nomenclature, are you living sent or are you living selfish? Is life about the sentness of the gospel or is life about the selfishness of you? You know, what's the, what's the overall direction of your life? It's not perfection, it's direction. Jesus is perfect, folks. We're not. So it's not perfection, it's direction. What's the direction of your life? Does your life prove that you have this affection for Jesus? Does your life prove that, man, your life is more about comfort or more about Christ? Is it more about living sin or more about living selfish? Now, folks, listen, we can learn so much from this passage. We can learn so much. First off, let's talk about a couple of things. Let me just close this out by talking about a few things we can learn. One, for families, for you families with kids, what are you teaching your kids about your faith, by how you live your life? What are you teaching your kids? You see, Vody Bauckham, who's you know, this, this, this great black preacher that I love, I mean, he basically says, you know what, most parents are more interested in their kids not embarrassing, Christian parents are more interested in their kids not embarrassing them than they are in their, in, in their kids being good than in their kids being godly. And so what happens is, is we begin to, to, what's a successful parent, moms and dads? Here's what I wanna ask you. 
What's it, what, what is, if you think you're a successful parent, what is it, that your kids don't embarrass you, that they behave well, that they make good grades? And we think if our kids, even Christian parents, if our kids behave well, if they make good grades, if they don't embarrass us, we even want them to love, we want them to have enough Christianity to get them to heaven and hopefully to keep them from getting pregnant or to keep them from out of trouble or to keep them from embarrassing us with their behavior, right? We want them to have enough Christianity to do that. But you know what, if, if they're good kids and they don't embarrass us and they've got a great reputation and they do well in athletics or well in school, then man, they can be rebels against God and we can still be successful parents, can't we, in our world today? And folks, what parents need to understand is how we live our life teaches our children much more about the gospel than what we say. How we live always speaks louder than what we say. Is the way you're living your life, is it, say, tell, is it teaching your kids that Jesus is worth everything, even if it costs you everything? Is the way, or do your kids hear you pray for lost people, for people who don't know the gospel? Do your kids see you talk to people who don't know the gospel? Do your kids see you have a, a faithfulness to church that's real? Because you see, here, here's, the, here's the thing with our children, just, just, just so you know. The thing with our children is most of our children, if you ask them that turn away from God, uh, they turn away from God because they had parents who were nominal Christians. Do you know that? They saw their mom and dad proclaim the name of Jesus when it was convenient, go to church when it was convenient, but it really didn't change anything about their life, and so they said, why would I want that? That's a bunch of junk. See, that's nominal Christian. What are we teaching our kids? See, like the church in Sardis, we need to teach our children that Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. He means everything. He's worth everything. Jesus is everything. Jesus demands uh, my affection. He demands my attention. He, he is worth my tithe. He is worth my money. He is worth my time in service. He is worth my devotion to him and to his church. What are we teaching our kids? You see, here's what I think the people in Sardis were teaching their kids is, man, your salvation is good. Pray the prayer, get saved, get baptized, and then go on about life as normal. Salvation terminates on you. And that's not what the gospel is all about. That's not what Jesus is all about. He saves you to send you. He redeemed you to represent. So what are you teaching your kids? The, the, the second thing we can learn is our goal should be to live sent, not to live selfish as a believer. Our goal should be to live sent, not to, be, to live selfish. Now, we all want to be liked. I understand that. We all want to be respected. Hey, we all want to be invited to the greatest parties, right? I mean, we don't want to be the one who's left out. We want to be accepted, right? I mean, we don't want to be called a freak, and we want the promotion at work. We want those things, and there's nothing wrong with those things. What would be wanting the opposite of those things? That'd be crazy, right? I mean, if you come to me and said, man, I don't want a promotion. I don't want people to like me. I don't want to be accepted. I'm thinking, man, you need some help, okay? We all want those things, there's nothing wrong with those things. The problem is, uh, do we want these things more than we want Jesus? Do we want these things more than we want Jesus? If so, we will live selfish rather than living sin. Jesus should be over all of those things, right? Your life should be about Jesus if you're a Christian. Uh, if not, he, he, our, 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 our garments are soiled. Our garments are soiled. It's easy for churches to fall in 
the church as a whole. That was for individuals. The individual church is made up of individuals, and, and it's easy for the church to fall into this. We've all seen churches that, uh, you know, preach that, that lacked a, a, a gospel presentation. They don't preach the gospel because, to be quite honest with you, the gospel is still as offensive today as it was then. Understand that. Know when you're preaching the gospel or share, preaching, and I'm talking about sharing, when you're sharing the gospel with someone, just know that the gospel's offensive because it tells them they're wrong, right? Their way is wrong. You've got to submit. You've got to surrender. You've got to repent. No one likes to hear those words, Obey, obedience. No one likes to hear those. So what happens is a lot of churches just eliminate those from their vocabulary. Because you see, if I, if I, if I talk about those words, if I talk about repentance, and if I talk about obedience, our crowd might not be as big because people will come and people don't want to hear about repentance and obedience. People want to feel good and be happy. And they want to leave saying, I just feel so good when I leave there. You see, and so it's so easy for churches to, 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 to eliminate the words that the gospel require from their vocabulary to build big crowds because isn't God happy when the church is bigger? So let's not, man, let's not talk about the hard things. Let's not even require membership in churches today because if we require membership, that's expecting something. And let's expect as little as we can to try to get as many people as we can. That's what happens in churches, just so you know, all over the country today. And some of those churches have a great reputation. They look like a model church, but folks, in reality, they're probably a, zombie, a lot of them are probably zombie churches, and I'm not there to judge any of them. I'm just saying, based on what God's word is to the church in Sardis, we all have to evaluate who we are, right? If we do these things as a church, we're soiling our garments. And if large numbers is the goal, then anything we do to get large numbers is good, right? But that's not godly. We want large numbers. Please hear me to understand. Please uh, hear me and understand, man, I want this place to be rocking, and I want, everybody, I want everybody in town to know what's happening on Sunday because you set your traffic pattern around this place. That's what I want, but I want it to be real. I want it to be because people are getting saved. I want it to be because the gospel is being preached. People are waking up. And people are living the life that God called us to live. I, don't, I, don't, I want it to be alive, and I don't want it to be a lie like it was in Sardis, right? So, so, so please understand, you know, that, that we want these things, and we'll, but we'll never compromise the gospel to get those things. Because one day we're all going to stand before Jesus. That, that's what we hear. One day we're all going to stand before Jesus, and we're all going to give an account not heaven or hell for the believer, but for what we did with what we've been given. And you know what? I've been given the responsibility of shepherding this church as the lead pastor of this church. So you know what? One day I will give an account on how I led you. And what I don't want to hear is, I don't want to hear Jesus say, boy, you gathered a big old crowd, but so did any rock star. I want, people to, I want Jesus to say, well done. Well done. Well done preached the gospel. You shepherded my people. You were the watchman who allow, uh, sounded the alarm. Well done. I want you to hear Jesus say, well done. Man, you live sin. You didn't live selfish. You, you were focused on Christ, not comfort. I want Jesus to say that to you now. Now, folks, what I want you to understand is there's a danger on the other side of the road in thinking that making Jesus happy means making everybody else angry. Because I know some Christians you know, who say, man, uh, if you're not making people angry, then you're not preaching the gospel. 
<laughs> you, you know what I mean, right? I mean, those are the, the, the Thea geeks, and we call them, and people who just like, I mean, man, they've got, a, they've got an answer for every question you don't have. They want to make sure you know how much knowledge that they have, and that's the goal. The goal is not the transformation. It's to let you know how much information I have and how I'm right and you're wrong. And listen, he, he, here's what I need you to understand. If everybody loves you, something's wrong, right? But if everybody hates you, something's wrong, right? Jesus is the rock of offense. That's what Bauckham said. Jesus is the rock of offense, not you. If you're the rock of offense, something's wrong in your presentation. Jesus is the rock of offense, not you. And so, so listen, uh, there's, two, there's a ditch on either side of the road, right? We either are too, too, too prone to make people love us, and so we're not gonna share the gospel because we want people to love us, or, man, we're gonna make everybody hate us because that's all we're gonna do is blaze them with bullets, both of those are wrong. Both of those are wrong. There's a ditch on either side of the road. And so, so, so what do we learn? What, what's, what's, the, what's the thing that we, I want to see from this church, or, or I think I want us to understand from the church in Sardis? Jesus writes this church, and notice how he ends it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That means there's hope, right? Do you hear what he's saying? Do you hear what he's saying? That means there's hope because he did say, hey, you're dead. Wake up, repent. There's hope. Wake up, repent. There's hope. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you hearing anything that, that the Spirit is saying? Because he, he, here's what I want, I, want, I want to challenge you to think about. We have challenged you to wake up by saying, who's your one? That's what these boards in front of me are all about. Who's your one? You have, who's your one? We want you to share the gospel with everybody you know, but we want you to really be intentional. We want you to zone in and do it. And so who's your one? And you see these uh, thousands of names. We, these are four boards, and we've got boards every, other places, and other campuses have boards. We've got thousands of ones on boards right now that you wrote their name, right? You wrote their name, and maybe you just wrote their first name, hopefully, because, I mean, you know, uh, uh, or, or maybe not. I mean, last week uh, uh, at one of our campuses, the campus pastor was telling me that he, he saw a guy take his friend over to the board and say, look, there's your name. I've got you on the name. I'm praying for you. That's one way of doing it, isn't it? That's going to create some conversation. Uh, you know, we leave that up to you, but you, uh, who's your one? How passionate are you praying about your one? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here's the sad thing. 90% of Christians never share the gospel. You've sold your garments if you're not sharing the gospel, if you're not talking about Jesus. And I'm not talking about, man, you've got to have all the answers. Many Christians don't share the gospel for many reasons. Well, I've got to wait till I learn how. That's junk. That's a lie from the enemy. The greatest evangelists are people that just got saved that say, you need Jesus. Let me tell you what he did for me. You've bought a lie if you think you have to know. Now, I want you to jump in and be a disciple and learn the scriptures, but you've bought a lie. Where you are, you take what you know, and you can't save anybody anyway. You let Jesus take what you know and mold it and use it in somebody's life. 90% never share the gospel. Some because they don't feel like they know enough. Some because they don't want to lose their friendship. Or, man, I'm just not bold enough. Or, I'm just an introvert. That, that's what it says in Scripture, right? It says, go and make disciples. And he put a clause there, except for those of you who are introverts. Except for those of you who are shy people. You don't have to do anything. That's what he said. No, he didn't qualify extrovert, introvert. Go and make disciples. You'll receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the is there. It's crystal clear. Here's what I would say. I would say if you've been a believer for any length of time, but you never share the gospel, 
you, you might want to do a little check. To be quite honest, dead. You're dead. Now, you might want to wake up. <laughs> he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you living sin? Are you living selfish? Boy, this is, a, this is a harder message, isn't it? I mean, but just like John, I didn't write the mail. I'm just delivering it, okay? This is the word from God to the church in Sardis, which is good for all churches and all people and all times. And I believe that's why he wrote these letters, because they represent all churches. And I believe there's a word in here for you. Some of you, you have kept your garments unsoiled. That's awesome. Your garments are unsoiled. Man, you're sharing the gospel. You're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, right? I mean, you're not perfect. But you, man, you love Jesus. Your name is, is, is your reputation is the real deal. And, and, and man, you, Jesus says, I will not blot your name out of my book. I will, I will commend you to my Father and to his angels. But there are some who are nominal Christians, there's some who are nominal Christians. Now listen, uh, man, I, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit helps you to know that because everybody who claims Jesus will fight that tooth and toenail and white-knuckle the seat in front of you. That's why Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What do you hear? So right now, here, here's what I want, I, want, I want to do, man. There is incredible hope. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then, man, I want you to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. The gospel is that you are separated from God by your sin, and there is nothing you can do to correct that. That's the bad news, but the good news is Jesus did. That's what his death on the cross was. And it's only in your faith and surrender into him as your Lord. As he died for you, come out of the grave on the third day, and as you surrender to him as your Lord and Savior and trust his work on the cross, not yours, that you, are, uh, that you become a believer in Jesus Christ, and he will not blot your name out of his book, and he will commend you to his Father. So if you are not a, God, a believer in Jesus Christ, then we today want to help you to understand what that means. We'll come and we'll talk to you. All right? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then awesome. We love that. Man, I mean, let's get, I, I fall every day. I make a mistake every day. I sin every day. Don't, don't, you know, so we're not talking about perfection, it's direction. But is the direction of your life about Jesus Christ? Is the direction of your life about Jesus Christ? I love you too much to not sound the alarm and say, this is what God is saying. Who has an ear to hear? Let him hear. Okay? There's all kind of places you can go and just, you know, get candy and, 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 and you know, uh, sugar and, and all those kind of things today. Man, you can stay home and watch. You can, you can go to concerts and you can go that. But, man, as the body of Christ, we need to come together and say, what does God's word say? And so, church, are you passionate about those who don't know Jesus Christ? Travis, come on out right now. I want Travis to come out, and man, we're going to worship right now. We're going to sing, and we're going to, to uh, pray. Man, uh, some of you, uh, you might want to, uh, uh, to, to, to put your one on the board. I don't know if we have the, the one stickers up here. Do we have one stickers and pins up here? If we don't, uh, man, uh, we'll, we'll have some. We'll go, somebody, somebody run and get some one stickers and pins and put up here, all right? Uh, you might have a one and, 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 and fl slap it on the board. Uh, you might, man, want to come and pray for your one. You might want to get down here on the floor and say, God, please save my one. God, please save my one. God, give me another one. God, give me passion for your glory. God, help my life to be sent, not selfish. God, help me to be about Christ, not comfort. Maybe you want to come down and pray. Maybe you want to worship. You do what the Holy Spirit of God has led you to do right now. Father, I love you and I love this church. 
And I pray that you would help this church as we read these letters. And God, they're heavy sometimes. God, there was no commendation in this letter. It was all condemnation. And I believe it was condemnation because people were not sharing the gospel. They weren't shouting it from the mountains. God, I pray that we would shout it from the mountains. I pray that we would live it with our lives. I pray that Jesus would roll off of our lips continually. I pray that you would capture, that, you're, that, that you're, you would be the affection of our heart. God, that you would be on our minds, that you would be coming off of our lips. God, I pray, Jesus, that our life would be about you so that people would know that you are God. God, I pray right now that you would awaken us. God, I pray that we would wake up God, I pray that we would repent for where we have fallen short, repent for where we have not shared the gospel. God, I pray that we would wake up, that we would love you, that we would serve you, that we would proclaim you. God, help us right now. Lord, help us. God, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right now, as Travis begins to lead us in worship, he will direct us when it's time to take up our offering. Until then, I just want you to worship. I want you to pray. I want you to come and put your one up, whatever you want to do. Come and pray at the altar. Do whatever you do as you ask God, save people, save people, save people. Let us share the gospel. Save people and let it be through me. That's what I want you to pray right now. Give you a passion for the glory of God, the name of Jesus, the souls of of your friends, your family. God, Please save people. That's what I hope you pray right now.